Welcome to this week's Parsha Share. It's a pleasure to be with you. This week we begin a new book. We begin the fifth Sefer, the fifth book of the five books of Moses, of Hamisha Chumshe Torah. And it's a very important um, distinction that we have to make between what happens in Devarim and what is happening in the first four books of the Torah. Because the first four books of the Torah are written anonymously, as it were. Of course, we know it's written by Hashem, but it's written as if a third party is writing about the characters that are being described. But the fifth book of the Torah is not written in that third party way. It's written um, in the sense that Moshe Rabbeinu is saying it. So it is his um, words that are being expressed. They're written down. I've given a share on this a few years ago, and you can check it out on my website. A share about how Devarim is so different from the rest of the Torah because of this stylistic difference, and what that means in terms of understanding it uh, as Torah Shabichsav, because there's some element of Torah Shabal Peh. So, I'm not going to go into that topic today. Today we're going to um, go through the first Nesivas Sholem on Sefer Devarim. It's a fascinating, exhilarating, important Nesivas Sholem because it contains, first of all, a very important introduction to this, the first Parsha, but also the whole book of Devarim, and second of all, it is a classic piece of the Nasivus Sholem. It, it really, he, he brings into it so much of the many things that he says elsewhere in his parish on the Torah is brought in this piece, the very first piece that he writes on Sefer Devarim. The Sefer Mishneh Torah, so we know that Sefer Devarim is not referred to in Chazal, a Sefer Dvarim. The reason we call it Dvarim is because it begins with the words Ve'ele HaDvarim. So it's called Dvarim. The first parsha is called Dvarim. But Chazal referred to it as Mishneh Torah, as a kind of repetition going back over the Torah. That's the way that this, uh, this book of the Torah is referred to, Mishneh Torah. Says the Nesiva Shalom B'Sefer Mishneh Torah, Nemru Kol Inyone Avoidas Hashem. If you want to understand what it means to be in the service of God, how to serve Hashem properly, look at Sefer Devarim. It's very famous that one of the Chassidish Rebbes, I think it was the Imre Emes, or maybe it was the Svas Emes said, whenever he wanted to learn Musar, he wouldn't go to a Musar Sefer like Chovah Salvavos, he wouldn't go to any of the famous Musas for him like Masilas Yesharim, he would just go straight back to the Torah. He would learn the book of Devarim. Why? Because everything you need to know about Avodas Hashem, about the service of Hashem, how it is that we can be servants of God, is contained in Sefer Devarim. Mitzvahs ahavas Hashem The commandment to love Hashem and to fear Him. And you should cleave to him and you should go in his ways. That is really, in summary, what Sefer Devarim is about. 
If you want to focus in on one of the parishes where this is really most prominent, of all the parishes in Sefer Dvarim that we call Mishneh Torah, go to Parshas Vaeschanon, Shehi Bibchinas Halev Shal Mishneh Torah. It's like the pumping heart, the beating heart of Mishneh Torah, of Sefer Dvarim, is Parshas Vaeschanon. Sheksuvim Baaseres Hadibrois. In Parshas Vaeschanon, we have the repetition, the second version of the Ten Commandments, the Aseres Adibris, that were originally given in Parshas Yisrael, in Sefer Shemois. We have them repeated to us in Parshas Vaeschanon, but here they are repeated by Moshe Rabbeinu to that next generation, the generation that was going to go into Eretz Canaan, take over Eretz Canaan and turn it into Eretz Yisrael. Moshe Rabbeinu gave over the Ten Commandments and we, of, of course, we know every single year we repeat it not only when we have uh, the Parsha of Yisrael, we have it again in Parshas Vaishchanon and of course on the festival of Shavuos. We have the Aseris Adibros at the center of who we are as Jews. The Ten Commandments really gives us a sense of who we are, where we belong and what we need to be doing. So, we know that Vaishchanon is very important. The Kosuk Bar Posuk, not only do we have the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue in Parshas Vaishchanon, we also have the Posuk, Shema Yisrael Hashem Alekeinu Hashem Echad. I'm, I'm suggesting to you that you recognize that Posuk. It's the Posuk that begins the most profound prayer of Jewish existence, of the Jewish faith. Shema Yisrael Hashem Alekeinu Hashem Echad. Hero Israel. Um, Hashem uh, is our God. Hashem is one. Shehu yesoid hayahadus umakoir hadveikus b'ashem. This is the foundation of Judaism, and it is the most important, the platform for what it means to cleave to God, to be close to Hashem. Shema Yisrael, by the way, is the realization of the commandment, The first commandment is not actually a commandment, it's a statement, a statement that God is one and that God is the, at the center of the universe, the creator, he's there before the universe begins, during the universe and after the universe has ended. He is omnipotent in every possible aspect of that word and of course we don't understand every aspect of that word. How do we execute that commandment we do it by saying Shema Yisrael We say Shema Yisrael Hashem Elokeinu Hashem Echad That's followed by the Psukim which tell us that we must love Hashem our God It's at the center of who we are as Jews that we must love Hashem. This is all in Parshas Vaischanon. It's incredible stuff. And we know that uh, the Kabbalists teach us that in fact all of the 613 mitzvahs are simply the route by which we can learn to love Hashem. It's not good enough if we just perform the mitzvahs, if we just do them. What's the point of doing them if it doesn't lead to this warm, loving, deep relationship 
with Hashem. That's the point of doing a mitzvah. We don't eat kosher to eat kosher. We eat kosher because then we can be closer with Hashem. We don't keep Shabbos because we need a day of rest. We keep Shabbos because then we can be closer with Hashem. We can love Hashem. We can have this relationship with God. So that's all in Parshas Vaischanon. But Al Pizer. So we really need to understand if it's so important that we need to love Hashem. And everything in Devarim is so important, so central, so crucial in the service of God that we understand what it is that we need to do as servants of God. How come we don't have any of this material, any of this stuff, elsewhere in the Torah, the first four books of the Torah. Why did we wait until Devarim? And based on what we just said from the Kabbalists, if it is true that you need the 613 mitzvahs in order to love Hashem, first we need to know what those mitzvahs are. So the first four books of the Torah Give us a sense of our duties, our obligations, what it is we should be doing, what it is that we shouldn't be doing in order to be servants of God. But all of that is just the hallway. It's the lobby. We didn't yet get to the main event. It's the headline, the editorial, as it were, is Devarim. That's where we really come into our, our own. That is when we can declare Why? Because all of the 613 mitzvahs, or as it were, the obligations of Judaism have been expressed, have been explained to us, have been given over to the Jewish nation. So now we know what to do and now we need to know why we're doing them. Why are we doing them? says the Nesiva Shalom. I understand all that. I mean, it makes perfect sense. Everything I've said so far makes perfect sense. It's a, it's a great ending to the Torah. It's kind of a, it's, you know, it's, it's the bookmark. It, it gives us a sense of who we are. Having been through the first book, four books of the Torah, we now need a Devarim, a Sefer Devarim, to give us a context, to set it all in place so that we truly appreciate what it means to be Jews. However, Tzarech Bior Madua Sefer Mishnah Torah Niftach Beparshas Devarim. We still need to understand we still need to get some sense, some idea, why it is that all of this material is in Parshas Vaischanon. And we began the Sefer with Parshas Dvorim. We have an entire Parsha that kind of is a buffer between the rest of the Torah that comes before it and Parshas Vaischanon and the material that comes afterwards. If it's true that Vaischanon is the beating heart of Sefer Dvarim, of Mishnah Torah, surely it should have been first. Why do we need to say, Why do we need to begin with all this material that Moshe Rabbeinu begins Sefer Dvarim with? Moshe Rabbeinu goes over all the terrible sins that the Jewish nation did during their sojourn in the wilderness. Why is that necessary? Why bother with that material? Who needs it? 
Let's just go straight to the Aserasa Debrais. Shema Yisrael Hashem Elekeinu Hashem Echad. V'ahavtois Hashem Lekeinu Hashem Echad. V'ahavtois Hashem Lekeinu Let's reach that crescendo immediately. Why do we need to have this introductory parsha, which is a bit of a downer? It's giving us all this material which is quite negative. It's not positive stuff, it's quite negative material. Why would we want to introduce this loving relationship between Hashem and the Jewish people by giving us all this negative stuff? Why didn't Moshe Rabbeinu just go straight into Aseris Adibrais, Shema Yisrael, Vo'ahavta, the Vo'eschanon material, right away at the beginning in Bo'nemru Kalamadregos Elyonish Lavoidas Hashem, which contains all these incredible elevated aspects of what it means to be a servant of God and how to serve God. Good question, right? The Nesivas Sholem is giving us a foundation. And by the way, this material that we're going to have today in the Nesivas Sholem is really something that he visits time and again throughout his commentary on the Torah, but here he has it in its perfect location. This is the location, this is as it were the headquarters of this idea of what it means to be a Jew and how that Jewish faith is conveyed to us via the medium of the Torah. Says the Nesiva Shalom, we need to understand, we need to appreciate, we really need to take on board this idea that the beginning of wisdom, the foundation of all wisdom, the foundation of all knowledge, the foundation of all understanding is Yiras Hashem, fear of God. You can have as much knowledge as you want, but to really get into the depth, into the, into the Inside of the inside of knowledge, you need to have Yiras Hashem. Reish is Chachma Yiras Hashem. Kvoshenema, Sur Meirav Asetoiv. He comes back to this theme time and again throughout his commentary. Sur Meirav, get away from bad. Clear yourself away from bad. Make sure there's no bad in your life, no negative, no evil in your life. Then Vasetoiv. Sur Meirav Asetoiv seems to be talking about the same thing, but it's not. It's talking about two separate things. The first part is Sur Meirah. That's an effort in and of itself. You need to make sure that you reach a space of, I've got rid of all the negative. And then Va'asei Toiv, then you can embrace the positive. And we saw this, remember we discussed the difference between Kedusha and Tumah and Tahara in, in Sefer Vayikra. There was a Nesiva Shalom or two there that we talked about, this Sur Meirava Asei Toiv, that there is this element of we need to get away from the negative. We need to withdraw ourselves out of the negative so that we can embrace the positive Va'asei Toiv. And it's the same concept of Reishis Chachma Yiras Hashem. Shetchila Tzarech Liyos Sur Meirava Hashem. The first thing you need to do is, if you want to make sure that you are fully cleansed, that you are a vehicle for blessing, a vehicle for the positive, a vehicle for spirituality, a vehicle for godliness. Make sure that you cleanse yourself. How are you going to do that? How is that possible? I'll tell you how it's possible. Reishis chachma yiras Hashem. First give yourself a sense of yiras Hashem, of yiras Shemaim. First give yourself a sense of what it means to fear God. There's a Gemara in Brachas, Tavchof Beis Amad Aleph. Shatoira nitna be'ema u'be'yira 
Beretas of Isaiah, that the Torah was given with, and this is a description of what happened at Mount Sinai. It was given in in, in a situation of awe, of awe-inspiring fear, of a, a sense of shaking. You know that uh, we uh, we call ourselves as Jews Charedim Lidvar Hashem. I know that the the term Charedim generally speaking, is believed to only refer to one aspect or one particular component of religious jury. It's not the case at all. We're all charedim lidvar Hashem. We quake and we fear in the presence of Hashem. It's a posit from Yeshaya. Charedim lidvar Hashem. By the way, the Quakers, which is a Christian sect, take their name from this very idea. They're quaking. They're quaking in the presence of God. We need to be quaking. We need to be shivering, shaking. We need to be in, in awe as we are in the presence of God. That's what it means to be charedim lidvar Hashem. And that's how the Torah was originally given. Reish is chokma yiras Hashem. Surely, says the Nesiva Shalom, God should have given the Torah through the attribute of loving kindness, should say to the Jewish people, I love you so much, and it's warm and fuzzy, and everyone feels good, and it's like soft music playing in the background, and God gives us the Torah, sort of a Hollywood moment. No, no, that's not how the Torah was given. It was given, It was given in the most awe-inspiring circumstances that you can possibly imagine. People were shaking in their shoes. People couldn't believe what was going on. Lightning, thunder, noise, fear. Reish's chachma yiras Hashem. That's how the Torah was given. It wasn't given by Midah But you would have thought, because shehi ha-mitzvah ha-yoyse g'doyle b'atoyer v'lom anitna ba'ema b'yira. You should have been given with love because that's the most important mitzvah. We just said, Parshas v'ayis chanon. V'ahavto yis Hashem l'kech v'chol levavcha v'chol nafshecha v'chol ma'idecha. It's the most beautiful, the most profound the most essential mitzvah of all, to learn to love Hashem. Why is it that the Torah was given in fear? Why was it given And do you know why? You need to know there's a foundation to all of this. You can't be someone who loves unless you have fear. There, there is this, it's the flip side of the coin. And he explains, And the Zohar explains that the Zohar, the foundational Kabbalistic work, the work of Jewish mysticism, explains If you want to understand what it means to be a Jew, if you want to have this platform by which you can work yourself as a Jew, as a person of faith, do you know what it is? It's Yiras Hashem, Hashem. And then the second one, the first one is Yiras Hashem. Tonino, the second one, is Ahava Hashem. You start with Yira. That's how it begins. First you have to have fear. Then Ahava Hashem. Pekuda Kadma'a do Yira Hashem. Pekuda Tonina do Ahava Hashem. That's what the Zohar, the introduction to the Zohar tells us. First you have to have the fear and then you have the love. She'afki Ahava Hashem yoise gedoyla. Even though we know the loving God is much bigger, much greater. The first thing you need to learn is to fear God. There's no such thing as love without fear. It's an important lesson. 
it's actually a very profound lesson. When you're in a relationship with someone, I'll give you an example. You're in a relationship with someone. You say, I love you so, so much. And they say they love you. And it's based on trust and loyalty and the beauty of the relationship. But you then, or they then, betray that relationship. Do you know why they betray the relationship? Because they have no fear of the reaction that's going to occur if they betray that relationship. There's no fear in them. They don't have this yira. They, no, they don't fear losing that relationship with the other person. And as a result of that, they're willing to take a risk because what leverage does the relationship have to prevent that risk from being taken? It's not actually a risk. So you need yira in a, in a relationship in order for the ahava to have any meaning. You need fear of consequences in a relationship between two in order for love to actually have any meaning. Otherwise, what meaning does it have? I can say I love you, but what difference does it make? I love you, but I'll betray you. I'm a traitor to your love because I'll do whatever I like and you'll still love me. That's not a relationship. So God wants to make sure that Reish is Chachma Yiras Hashem. The first thing is he gives the Torah, Be'emah, Be'yira, Be'retes, Be'ziah. First, we need to understand that the power of the Torah is that it can be ripped away from you. And that relationship isn't certain, it isn't guaranteed. And then once you understand that, that's the foundation, that's the core, that's the essence of the relationship. Then you can have Ahava, you can have Ahavta Hashem Aleikecha, Bechol Levavcha, Bechol Nashcha, Bechol Ma'idecha. Vatam ki yetsar lev ha'odam ramin urov. You should know ki yotsar lev ha'odam rabin urov. The create the God created man to be bad. Our default position is the line of least resistance. We are created not necessarily to do the right thing, but actually the line of default is to do the wrong thing. To do things wrong, to do things bad, because if we can get away with it, we'll do it. That's who we are. That's how it works. We're not people who necessarily want to put an effort into being better than the sum of our parts. We'll give in to human nature, to our weaknesses. That's how we were created. A human being was created. We are mammals in the end. We're just animals. And within us are all these animal desires. We're no different than the animals who just want to eat, who just want to procreate, who just want to have a good life, an easy life. We want to work enough so that we have whatever it is we want. Some of us want more, some of us want less. But whatever it is we want, in a materialistic sense, once we get it, we're perfectly happy to function and continue as normal. That's how a human being was created. If that's the case, how is it possible for anyone born of a woman? Which is an expression, it's a, it's a classical Hebrew expression. Anybody that's born, how is it possible for them to behave in such a way that they'll reach the level of loving God, of having this loving relationship with God. You can't say I love Hashem if you're just somebody who's going to give in to their base, base desires, whatever it is that they want. 
זוהי סמדרייגה נסגובה בהתקיה חרא בקירבוי ודומוי דם תומי. How is it possible for a mere mortal, for a mere uh, person of flesh and blood to reach this ultimate goal, to reach this pinnacle of spiritual superiority if we're just mortals? If the blood is pumping within us, we're not malochim, we're just ordinary people. How is it possible that we'd reach that stage, that status in and of ourselves? על כן רשיס חכמה, או על כורכך רשיס חכמה ירס השם. The only way to achieve that. The only way we can possibly reach that destination. The only way we can be better than the sum of our parts is to take on board this concept of ירס שמיים, of ירס השם. רשיס חכמה, the ultimate wisdom. We're not talking about knowledge. Yeah, you can read a textbook. You can watch documentary programs and you can read very, very long articles in Atlantic magazine. That's not the Chochmah we're talking about. The real Chochmah. How are we going to reach that status of real Chochmah? Do you know how? Reishis Chochmah, Yiras Hashem. Then we can be greater than the sum of our parts. Then we can elevate ourselves to, to a status where is actually possible. Kloshon Chazal, Gemara Nida, Davtes Ahmed Aleph says as follows. Charda mesalekes hadomim. Charada, which is shaking, fearing Hashem, it calms down the blood, calms down all these physical material desires. It's a Gemara in Nida. שהיירה וחרודה מסלקס הדומים התמיים ומתהרתוי מן הרע. You should know that if you have a genuine sense that God is watching you and is concerned for your behavior, for who you are, for what you've become, for what you could really be, if you have that sense in you at all times, you don't think you've ever escaped from it. There's no moment in your life where you say, it's not relevant to me, I'll just do what I like and then I'll come back to it. Like you are in a relationship with a husband or with a wife. You have this fear. What would happen if my husband would see me now? What would happen if my wife would see me now? Or if you're a child to a parent, what would happen if my parent would see me now? Or if you're a parent to a child, if my child could see me now, what would they think of me? That, that's a fear, by the way. That's a real sense, you know. People who take these kinds of risks and later get discovered, they suddenly have this unbelievable loss of respect, of relationship with their family members, with their most beloved people in their lives. Why? Because they took that risk. They didn't have the fear in them at that moment, that charada that could have prevented them from doing the thing that they did, which led to the breakdown in the relationship. You can't be in a state of ahafta if you don't have the state of Yira. You can't be in a state of Ahavas Hashem if the Charoda isn't there to be Mistalekes Bedam Tmeah. That's what we need. That's Mistalekes Hadomim, that the Dam the, the which really is talking about the most coarse, base, material desires of the human condition, need to be subdued. How are they going to be subdued? There is one button that you can push, one lever that you can pull, and it's called 
Yiras Hashem, Reishis Chochma, Yiras Hashem. Shahira Vacharada Mesalekes Hadomim Hatmeim Mutahartum in Ara. Oz Mesugal Hu Lahavas Lahava Es Hashem. And only then is it possible for a person to reach a status where they can, it's a baseline for loving God. Then you can increase that baseline. You can go to the next level. It starts with the Bechol Lavavcha. Then it gets to Bechol Nafshechov. Then it gets to Bechol Ma'idecho. That's a whole other share. But Vahavta, you can only get to if you've reached the status of Yiras Shomayim. Bezel Pirish Pekuda Kadma. That's what it means when the Zara says it's Pekuda Kadma. Number one, before you start anything else, your initial relationship with Hashem, your Pekuda Kadma'a, is Yiras Shomayim. Shayira hi hareshis hakdoma la sogas ahava. That first thing you need to get to before you get to this status of loving Hashem is Yiras Hashem. It says later on in Devarim, what is it that Hashem wants from you most of all? He wants you to fear Him. It's not that He wants it most of all in the sense that you should always live in a state of, by the way, we don't want you to be Quakers all your lives. That's not the idea. Being a Quaker is only the foundation. It's only the introduction. The rest of your life is... It's only that initial moment, as it were, or it's there hovering in the background. It's there behind you as, as a default position of who you are, of Yiras Hashem, and then the love... That's in Lashire, that's incredible, that's without limit, it's totally unlimited. But the first thing is, all the only thing he wants is that you reach that foundation point, you reach that platform, you reach that baseline, so that you can get to. That's the very first thing. That's where we get to. That's station number one on the journey. That's why when Moshe Rabbeinu began, how did he begin? He began with all this Musa stuff about talking about the Chatoim, the different sins, the different misdeeds, the different bad stuff that the Jewish nation had done during their time in the Midbar, he recalled some of the negative aspects of their career as wilderness wanderers. And that's something that needed to happen before he got to Parshas Vaischanon. Because he wanted to make sure that they understand their weaknesses, that they understand what can go wrong, that they understand that things are not going to be perfect and that the human condition is such that every day we wake up and it's another struggle, a new struggle, new possibilities to go wrong, to make a left turn or a right turn instead of going in a straight line and making sure that we're heading in the right direction. That is something that Moshe Rabbeinu felt was so foundational, so important that he convey to the, that he needed to convey to the Jewish nation before they went into Eretz Yisrael and before they understood the obligations of Avodas Hashem via Shema Yisrael and Vahafta. That's something that Moshe Rabbeinu wanted to convey to them right at the beginning because it was Pekuda Kadma. So therefore. 
The first thing you need to know as a wise person is to have Yiras Shamaim. And then afterwards you can reach all the various most elevated elements of loving Hashem and being close to Hashem, having a relationship with God and having this warm connection with Hashem. And that's really an explanation of why Sefer Devarim begins with Parshas Devarim and not Parshas Voishchanon. And we can actually explain it slightly differently and perhaps with greater depth, says the Nesivas Sholem. You need to understand, Shivroin Lev means a broken heart, and Hachnoa means to, uh, to kind of uh, lower yourself, to understand that you're not the best, and that you don't have you're not arrogant about who you are, but you have a sense of your own place, your own position in the world, that you're a speck and that you are a mere blip. You're machnia yourself, that you've subdued your ego in the face of the reality of what you're up against in terms of your life, in terms of everything that can go wrong. That is the ultimate state that we should be aspiring to. Once you have a broken heart, once you realize your place in the world, that will enable you, that's the vehicle for getting you to the most elevated space that you can possibly be spiritually and religiously. That's what is required. The Posuk says in Tehillim to capital Nun Aleph. The Posuk says, If somebody is a lave, is a heart nishbar that is broken, the nidke, it's completely eradicated on the lowest level. You know, somebody who's really feeling down and in the dumps. God will never embarrass them. God will never cause them shame. God will never interfere in that person. He doesn't want to make things worse. Somebody who has a sense of all the things that can go wrong or that have gone wrong, that is a person who God will never reject. That's what the Posuk says in Tehillim. Demashma afshe osa masim ke'elu machmasam. And the Posuk is a strange Posuk. Because it seems to indicate that even if that person has done stuff for which God should be mavazahim, should reject him, should be embarrass him and shame him and have nothing whatsoever to do with him or her. Even so, if it's a levnish barvanidka, if that person is broken hearted and downhearted, in that situation, even if they are deserving of bizui, God will not be mavaza them. That's what the Posuk is saying. An unbelievable Chiddush that David HaMelech says in Tehillim. If you're broken hearted, by the way, what that means is if a person has sinned but is embarrassed 
ashamed of that sin, downhearted that they should ever, ever committed that sin, cannot believe that they allowed themselves the liberty of having done the wrong thing and whatever the situation was that allowed that thing to happen or that enabled them to commit this sin. They're downhearted, they're depressed, they're sad about it. They're ashamed of who they are, of who they have become, having committed that sin. Hashem is with them. Hashem wants to help them get out of it. Hashem is at their side. But if they're arrogant, they say, who cares what Hashem thinks? I wanted to sin, I wanted to do whatever I wanted. Then Hashem isn't with them. Then they could be embarrassed and shamed by God. Shame on our part will make sure that there's no shame externally. It's an unbelievable chiddish of this posuk in Tehillim. Says as follows, somebody who is arrogant, haughty, thinks too much of themselves. God says, me and that person can't be together. We can't live together we can't be in the same place even somebody who's done all the avarus that it's possible to do god never says i can't live with that person but if somebody is arrogant if somebody is pompous something somebody thinks too much of themselves they don't have a lave nishbar vanidke they think that they're the best hashem cannot be with them it's the exact, the flip side of that same coin of the posuk in Tehillim. The posuk that we quoted of Leib Nishbar Vanidke. The Gemara Soita says that God doesn't want to have anything to do with arrogance. It's not possible for him to be together with such a person. Rak im ein ani ladur. It's not possible for God to reside, to be together with anybody who is uh, full of themselves, who thinks that they're better than everybody else. Kigeus, arrogance, says the Nesivus Sholem, arrogance, it's the thing that most separates us, that divides us from God. You should know if you want to have a relationship with God and you're arrogant, it's not possible. In fact, people who act religious but they're very arrogant, they have no sense of a relationship with Hashem because it's not possible. It's a Gemara. It's a Chazal. Chazal are telling us God and arrogance cannot be in the same room together. It isn't possible. It cannot work. Umar and Admor, Avram. And he quotes one of the early, of the slonimer, earliest Slonimer Rebbes. He said the Babes Avram says, Omar Ahod Kodosh, it says in the Zer HaKodosh, Shamakatrig Oimer Ploini Ovar Kach, Ploini Ovar Al Kach. Some, you were talking about, uh, this is by the way, something we say on Rosh Hashanah, this one did this bad thing and this one did something else bad. Do you know why people can speak about someone else who's done something bad? Because they are someone, they're a ploini, they're a person, they 
pump up their personalities, they pump up their egos, they pump up their presentation of themselves as if they're greater than who they are. And therefore somebody can say, oh, that person, he thinks he's so fantastic, that Pliny, he did something wrong. But if somebody is a Leib Nishbar Vanitke, if somebody is not full of themselves, somebody doesn't constantly project a greater image for themselves than who they are, then they're much safer because they're not a ploini. So no one's going to say that that person sinned because there's no that person. That person is not significant enough to have the finger pointed at them. There is some sense of ego in that person that makes the other one want to bring them down that makes the other person want to say that person is a sinner. The kitrug, the negative connotations, the negative uh, um, outcomes that can occur if somebody has done something wrong cannot possibly gain traction if somebody has no ego. Because if they have no ego, if they are laid nishbar v'nidke, Hashem is with them. Hashem will never be mavaza them. Hamida hazoy shall nishbar v'nidke. Says the Nesiva Shalom that this attribute, she Yehudi shavur bekirboy, a Jew who is broken inside, bebchina she'en kamploini, who is able to completely diminish and somehow uh, um, reduce the ego within them. That is the surefire route. That's the method by which we can all get to Hashem in the highest possible realms of our relationship with God. Through Ahava and through Dveikus, we can have a relationship with God. And similarly, we find with the matter of the land of Israel. How is it possible for us to inherit the land? This is very relevant to our generation. It's very relevant to us because we're the, we're not quite the first generation, but we're of those first generations who were lucky enough, who have been lucky enough to gain possession of the land of Israel. We have Medinat Israel. we have the state of Israel. Jewish people have never been as strong in the land of Israel for 2,000 years. How can we keep hold of it? How can we, how can we retain our hold over Eretz Israel? Says the Nesiva Sholem, Yerushas Ha'aretz? You want to have Yerushas Eretz HaKadosha? You want to inherit it? You want to really take ownership of it? That it's the land Shenosan Hakodesh Baruchali Yisrael. It's the land that God gave to the Jewish people. How are we going to keep hold of it? How are we going to make sure that we can retain possession of this prized gift, the Promised Land? Hirak It's only through the humility of Achnoa. That's how we can get it. The Nitzutze Oyres, who writes on the Zara Kodesh, is a commentary, says as follows. And the Shlo says the same thing in Parshas Lech Lecha. Listen carefully. The land was called Eretz Kanaan. You know why it was called Eretz Kanaan? Because there were a bunch of Canaanite nations that were living there. Seven nations altogether. They were Canaanite nations that needed to be destroyed. It was called Eretz Canaan. But if that's the case, how come it's still called Eretz Canaan 
after it was already given as a Yerusha for Eretz Yisrael, for the Jewish people. After Avram Avinu is told in the Brisbane Absarim, you're going to get Eretz Yisrael, it's going to not get, it wasn't told Eretz Yisrael, it's going to be your land. After they come out of Egypt, God says this is going to be your land. Moshe Rabbeinu is told in Egypt that they're going to inherit the land. What's it called? It's called Eretz Canaan. Why is it called Eretz Canaan? Surely by now, it's long after Yaakov Avinu and Yitzchak and Avram have inherited the land, it should have a Jewish name. It should be called Eretz Yisrael. Why is it called Eretz Canaan? It's the wrong name. Do you know what the answer is? Fascinating. It's a shlo in Parshas Lech Lecha. Listen carefully. Parshas Lech Lecha is the parsha of the Brisbane Absarim. That's when Avram Avinu received the land. Should it be called Eretz Avram? Eretz Ivrim. I'll give you ten names it could have been called. One name it shouldn't have been called is Eretz Canaan. Do you know why? It's a play on words. I've told you about this before. The Hebrew language uses words which are similar to each other to convey messages. There's literary associations between different words. Eretz Kanaan is Eretz Lenichnoim to those who are humbled in the face of that which they have received. Those who are willing to subdue themselves to the will of the Almighty, they're the ones who are going to inherit the land. It's Eretz Kanaan, Eretz Hanichnoim, Rak Mishu Nishbar Yisrael. We must remain humble in the face of this incredible gift of the land of Israel. What a powerful lesson for us in our generation. We mustn't believe for one second that it is a foregone conclusion that we own the land of Israel. We own nothing. We were lucky. We were given a gift by Hashem. In 1948, it was called Medina Yisrael. We can be called whatever you like. It's Eretz Canaan. It's Eretz Rak Lenichnoim. We must be humble at every moment that we are lucky enough to have received this incredible, powerful, moving gift, the most beautiful gift that we could have ever received from Hashem. And we must know that every day there's a risk that that gift can be ripped away from us. We have to have a leib nishbar v'nidke to make sure that we can retain a hold of it, that our relationship with God must, is strong enough so that that land will remain in our possession. Because who says that that's what's going to be tomorrow, next week, next month, next year, in five years' time? It's Eretz Canaan. Are we nichnoim enough? Are we, are we machnia ourselves to this incredible, powerful gift from Hashem? Or have we forgotten how incredible it is and we're too busy fighting with each other about who's in charge and what works for us? What's best for us, our little political group, our little sector, our little community? This works, that works. Hashem gave us Eretz Yisrael. He gave us the land of our heritage. He gave us the country which He promised to Avraham, Yitzhak and Yaakov. Are we machnia ourselves to that? Are we working on our relationship with Hashem? Or are we busy? Are we misgoer? Are we endangering ourselves, as that Gemara says in Soita Daftes? Perhaps 
we're reaching a stage where Hashem cannot reside together with us because we're so arrogant and so pompous and so full of ourselves and so sure that this is our destiny, that we're forgotten, that in one second, in one split second, that gift can be taken away from us. That's what he says. This exactly, this was exactly the pagam of the spies that went to Eretz Yisrael. When it describes them, it says, Kulam Anoshim, the heads of the Jewish people, the, it's the, the implication is that these were very great and special and extraordinary people. You know what their fault was? Their fault lay in the fact that they were Rashi Bnei Yisrael They were so busy being Anoshim that they thought that they were Rashi Bnei Yisrael, that their opinion mattered that who they were was more important than what God wanted. It was more important than their own humility of understanding their place, what was expected of them. Rashi B'nai Yisrael, Anoshim, oh wonderful, you're special people, extraordinary people. Everybody thinks you're so talented, you're so marvellous, you're... In the end, if you're not machnia yourself with a Leib Nishbar Vanidke, you're misgoer, then... Hashem can't reside with you. Hashem isn't with you. You're going to make mistakes, and that's exactly what happened. They couldn't be in Eretz Yisrael. They could never inherit the land. They couldn't be part of that generation that took back Eretz Yisrael after the exile in Egypt. And so too we see in our own times. Who were the, who were the Jews who took Eretz Yisrael? They were the Holocaust survivors. And they were the refugees and immigrants from the Arab countries which had thrown them out. Poor, starving souls that inhabited refugee camps for five years, some of them ten years, and then development towns until they got themselves together, until the country developed. Those were the people with the Leib Nishbar and the Nidke who inherited the land of Israel. It was only possible for that generation after the greatest catastrophe that had ever occurred in Jewish history, the Holocaust. When being a Jew meant that you were a target, where it was possible to murder six million Jews, 40% of Jews in the world were killed. That was possible. It was that generation, a generation of Leiv Nishbar Vanidke, of Reishis Chochma Yiras Hashem, that was the generation that could inherit Eretz Yisrael. And that's exactly what happened. If there would have been Miraglim, if there would have been Anoshim, Roshe Bnei Yisrael, they would never have got Eretz Yisrael. So what are we now? Are we like that generation? Are we like a generation of Lev Nishbar Vanidke? Or are we a generation of Anoshim, Roshe Bnei Yisrael, where we all think that we're special, we're better than everybody else, and we know better than everybody else. What's going to be the outcome of that? What's going to be the outcome if we're not machnia ourselves 
to the incredible gift of Eretz Yisrael. Ki Eretz Yisrael nitenes rak l'nishbrei leiv ruach, Because Eretz Yisrael can only be given to those who are broken-hearted and those who have had all the stuffing knocked out of them and understand their vulnerability in the world and in terms of world history. And in fact, that explains, and this, with this I'll end, this piece of Nasiva Sholem is so fantastic. That was the purpose of Golos Mitzrayim. That's why we needed to go through the exile in Egypt. God said to Abraham at the Brisbane Absorim when he did the covenant about receiving the land, he says, you know, your descendants, they're going to be strangers in a strange land. They'll be worked. They'll have to be in servitude. They will be persecuted. How is it possible? It can't be understood. How is it even something that God could have concocted and put together that the nation needs to go through a golus, an exile in Egypt? Let's think about this. Why didn't he give the Torah to Yaakov's children? Bring them all to Chorev, to Mount Sinai. Give them the Torah. This was 70 souls of the holiest, highest. I mean, they'd made peace with Yosef. Okay, it's wonderful. Now let's a family together. Let's all meet on Mount Sinai and let's go back to Eretz Yisrael and inherit the land. No, those 70 souls went to Egypt and they became completely absorbed in the local culture and the society to the extent that then when they emerged, they were the 49th level of Tumah. There's only 50. <laughs> Can you imagine that? There's 50 levels of impurity. They'd reached level 49. They were in the red zone. The alarm was ringing. Uh, uh, uh. If they would have stayed even for one more minute, they wouldn't have been able to come out of Egypt. Why? Why put them through all that? Just take them immediately after they've reunited and reconciled, give them the Torah, end of story, that's going to be the story of the Jewish nation. That's not what happened. Yodoya Teda says God. You should surely know They will be strangers in a strange land, they will have to be in servitude and they will be persecuted. Why did that happen? We see that the exile in Egypt took them from the highest possible, most elevated level that a human being can ever be. That's what the 70 souls were who went to Egypt into the lowest, deepest depths. Into a place where no human being wants to be spiritually. That's where they were when they left Egypt. Why was that? The whole purpose was to put them through the grinder, to make sure that they were fully prepared to receive the Torah. And for that, they needed to go through the experience in Egypt. The only way that they could be vessels that could receive the Torah is if they went through this experience, this cleansing process 
of being slaves in Egypt. That's why they were in Egypt. They need to be That's what they needed to be. That's the theme of the Nesivas Sholem. If they were the great 70 souls, the children of Yaakov Avinu, the grandchildren of Yitzchak, the great-grandchildren of Avraham, they're not ready to receive the Torah. That's not possible for them. That, it won't work. They're too great. There's too much of a yeshus in them. The ego is still pumping in them. That's not going to work. They're not going to be able to receive the Torah in those circumstances. It's only if they go through this cleansing process of servitude and of being persecuted for 400 years or whatever the length of time was, tradition tells us 210 years, whatever it was, they had to go through that period in Egypt of going from oh, the most incredible nation with their wonderful people, the tribe of Jacob. They're coming here with his 12 children and they're all brothers of the, of the grand vizier of the, of the uh, ruler of Egypt, Joseph. These are the most marvelous, wonderful people. They can't receive the Torah. They don't have a Leib Nishbar. They don't have a Leib Nidka. They can't receive the Torah. It's not possible. They can only receive the Torah if they go from that elevated status in a material sense and in a spiritual sense, but we're really talking a material sense, till they've sunk to the lowest low, until, as it were, the page is clean. There's nothing about them that's worthy, as it were, of receiving the Torah. Now the page is clean, now they can receive the Torah. Now they have a Leib Nishbar. Now Hashem is with them. Now there's no Geus in them. Now it's possible to give them the Torah. Let's get them out of Egypt. Let's get them out swiftly. We need to get them out before they get to level 50. They're at level 49. Let's whip them out of Egypt. Let's get them at the foot of Mount Sinai. Let's give them the Torah. This is the moment. This is the opportunity. That's why God said to Avram, you need, you need to understand this because it's going to be tough on you. Because Avram Avinu could have said, listen, come on, God, you're giving me the land. Give it to me now. Give it to my son. Give it to my grandchildren. Why are you making them go? Says God, you need to know something. It's not going to be possible. It's not going to work. It's not going to be enduring. If I just give it to them now, if I give it to them in the next generation or the generation after that, they need to go through the process. Because without that, there's no Torah, there's no Eretz Yisrael, and there's no enduring Jewish nation. And my friend, three and a half thousand years later, we can say the evidence is, is there. Hashem was right. Here we are, I'm giving this year about this topic three and a half thousand years later to people who remain Jews, who remain with great conviction, firm conviction, proponents of monotheism, proponents of the 613 mitzvahs of the Torah, proponents of proponents of the holiness of Eretz Yisrael, 
and the worthiness of the promised land. You know why? Because we were slaves in Egypt. That's why it says, I am the Lord your God. You know why? I brought you out of the land of Egypt. That is the enduring process. That is the method by which I ensured that your survival as Jews is guaranteed. That's what it is. If you want to understand what it means to be a Jew, you need to understand that you are a stranger in a strange land. There's people who don't like you. And there's people who are never going to like you. It doesn't matter what you do to try and pacify them or try and convince them that you'll like them. In the end, they're going to point the finger and they say, you Jew, you're an outsider. That is going to be the glue that binds us together. That is going to be the process by which we can ensure that we reach a level of we need to be in a state where we understand God has created a playing field where we need to be somehow so that we can be so that we can have a loving relationship with him that will endure, that will be strong, that will be powerful and will bind us together as a nation and will ensure our survival through thick and thin. We'll leave it here. Thank you.